0: This event was recorded at the 2018 Edinburgh International Book Festival.
1: Hello. Thank you. I didn't trust anybody with my money, so I brought it brought, in case I get a phone call. Okay. Classy.
0: Hello, good afternoon and welcome to the Edinburgh International Book Festival and to this event with the great Ruby Wax.
1: Uh, <laughs> I bet that's my new name, I put that the <laughs> that's how I sign things.
0: I'm Jackie McLone, a journalist, and it's a very great privilege for me to introduce Ruby to you this afternoon. Um, uh, she actually needs no introduction, I mean it's such a cliché, but like a lot of clichés it's actually true.
1: So you um, didn't write one?
0: Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> no, okay. Um, She has been making us laugh hilariously and think more deeply for more than 25 years now. As a brilliant, subversive TV interviewer, writer, and indeed a classically trained actor, and successful stand-up comic, she has added immeasurably to the gaiety of the nation. But Ruby is also a best-selling author. She's written four books, a memoir called How Do You Want Me?, Sane New World, and A Mindfulness Guide for the Frazzled. She holds a Master's Degree in Mindfulness-Based Cognitive Therapy. I knew I was going get, to not get my turn yeah. around that. From Oxford University. And she was awarded an OBE in 2015 for her work for mental health. Last year, she made an absolutely unforgettable Who Do You Think You Are? Program, uh, probably the best one I've ever seen in the series. And we shall return to it this afternoon. Today, Ruby comes to us with her fourth fascinating book, How to Be Human The Manual. A humorous history of evolution, explaining how we work and why we do what we do. The book is written in conjunction with a kindly monk and a thoughtful neuroscientist, neither of whom, as you can see, is with us this evening, this afternoon, rather. But um, I do
1: have one of them. <laughs> <laughs> They're my hand puppets now. Okay, put But them we do away. have Ruby.
0: The Guardian's reviewer noted of How to Be Human that Ruby Wax has embraced mindfulness with passion, and or the reviewer also doubted whether anyone will write a more engaging treatise on the subject. And the book is indeed, in my opinion, full of practical advice, witty and sensitively written and full of really useful tips. We're going to discuss how to be human and Ruby will read from the book, but most importantly we want your questions. Please. So, if you've seen one of Ruby's one woman shows, From Losing It to Frazzled, you will know that she likes the audience to become engaged and to speak up. So, Edinburgh, I want you to speak out.
1: Not I have now. an added
0: incentive because this event is generously um, uh, supported by um, the Ivy on the Square, and the person who asks the best question. In our opinion, this <laughs> afternoon, <laughs> we'll win dinner for two.
1: That'll be good.
0: So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ruby Watt.
1: Thanks. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you.
0: Ruby, you begin the book by saying that when you finished the last book, you vowed you would never write another because it was worse than giving birth.
1: and yeah but once the baby survives and the baby does really well then suddenly you think oh I'm ready for pregnancy again and then I found the monk and the neuroscientist on tinder and uh (laughs) and so I thought well let's you know that you only write a book when uh, these questions start building up that I wanted answered so I did you know, I couldn't get more expertise than somebody who's, and he lives in my house, by the way. The monk is hilarious. I invited him to move in once I heard him speak. And it's, um, he matches a sofa. <laughs> so sometimes when I come home, I just see a head floating. <laughs> and the neuroscientist. So we've been together two and a half years, and it, it's a marriage. So everything I wanted to know, you either get the, uh, the, bo- the, the monk is actually it's, it, its known as the science of the mind. It's how we think. And then the uh, neuroscientist substantiates it because if I can't see something or I can't smell it, I don't buy it. So I can always go, what's in his scalp that he would think that? Or what do you see? What does compassion look like? And... There's a state-of-the-art answer. We don't know many things, but what we do know, he knows. The, the, in,
0: in many senses, the book carries on from... Um, Frazzled. Frazzled, doesn't it? Because it, it, it takes a lot of the questions you raised in that, but looks at them in a science-based way. So you, you're, you're looking at Well, science evidence. and comedy, you know. Well, uh, yeah. I,
1: well it goes without saying. Because it's still my book, yeah. <laughs> the monk and the neuroscientist are becoming impossible now, now that we've, because we're touring next September... As so a, you're going to do a, a show? show? Together. How to be human? How to be human, the manual. I do the first half, and then they come on in the second half, and they keep asking me, why do I have more lines? And the monk will only fly business now. And, and has become... This is not making it up. He's become the face of Lufthansa. I swear to God. So I've had to whip him back in his cage. Anyway, we're going to tour in September, but I... I did these topics that I thought were so... Fe- what is thought? What is relationships? What is... Wh- where does the essence come from? How do we know who we, who we choose? How do you raise a kid? What's a teenage brain? And then at the end of each chapter, I set them to it.
0: Can we start with evolution? Because that's how
1: you start. Why? Well, a lot of it is, you know, I, I want some relief. I don't want to feel I'm alone. And so a lot of things um, are not our fault. You know, we were equipped with something hundreds of thousands of years ago, and they create glitches, because it works perfectly in one sense. We only evolved physically, first of all, to, you know, deal with challenges that the environment threw up. So we couldn't crawl fast enough, and our knees were killing us, and we couldn't reach the fruit, so we stood up. But then the problem is there's always give and take. I mean, there's so many. When women, st- this isn't even in the book, when, when women stood up, their pelvis is narrowed, so giving birth took years right it when you were on all fours it was a cinch you know it's like passing the state of texas through your vagina but (laughs) so there's always give and take you know we're we're meant to be competitive we're meant to feel discussed we're meant to but in a global environment we've tipped over because our brain is still partly caveman it doesn't know the wallpaper's changed so we really have to kind of realize this is where we came from this is why fear started this is where stress started we needed all that you know so that we could survive it's our really our mind really meant well it's just that now it's kind of backfiring cuz we're dealing with things that we've never had to that we've never dreamt of mm. so cognitively we're geniuses you know we created these technology, which is now doing fine without us. But as far as understanding who we are, nobody ever gave us the tools. I always say it's like having a Ferrari on top of your head, but nobody gave you the keys. So this book is sort of explaining, here's what we are, and here's how you can now, how you can make it work for you rather than it dragging you into madness. And so a little, little knowledge about where we came from, I always think knowledge is power. So that's why I talk about evolution.
0: Uh, can I ask you just, uh, uh, one uh, uh, off that subject entirely, do you ever stop and pinch yourself and think how extraordinary this <laughs> how ex- event th- 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 this st- your, your own story has been from spear-carrying with the Royal Shakespeare Company? Uh, we, we won't talk about I the childhood. Seaweed.
1: seaweed. I played seaweed <laughs> with Juliet Stevenson. And a garbage bag. She'll be here later in the week, and we're performing for uh, a refugee charity, explaining that I was shape one and she was shape two. She <laughs> insists she was shape one. But I started with Juliet Stevenson, and where is she now? Yeah. <laughs> so um, so I think it is miraculous. I actually meant
0: this. this I hate the word. The journey to yeah. Oxford, and to it, 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 It's extraordinary.
1: I I was a late bloomer. Uh, there's no, I was not smart when I was young, primarily because I came out of trauma and that really locks the brain. So I couldn't, I couldn't read. That's what happens. But gradually, gradually, and I did it on purpose. I did go to Oxford to learn about my brain. I mean, Mm -hmm. I thought I'm not paying shrinks anymore. I might as well get the best. And, um, you have to kind of walk the talk when you learn about mindfulness and again, they can substantiate what happens in the brain and it does become more f- flexible and it, you are able to focus more and you are able to bring down your cortisol. It's not hundred percent, but you know, we go to the gym to get a six pack. This is the new zeitgeist this to exercise up here. And there's this thing called neuroplasticity, which I don't know why people aren't shouting it from the rooftops, that they do know our brain can change as our genes now, we, they found out our genes can change, and you pass those new genes to your kids. All this stuff should be available, not what star sign are you. No, no offense to the star sign people. I'm an Aries, by the way. But <laughs> the latest in science is that this can change, and you can, and because I got curious at age 75, um, I am the living legend of neuroplasticity. I got kicked out of my nursery school for being too stupid. And then as you Get older, it doesn't necessarily decline. It is working out in a gym. Now they're coming to take me away. So <laughs> I'm really sorry. I have a mental issue and they only allow me to speak for a few minutes. There I go. Done. They usually tie me up. Tie me up.
0: <laughs> oh, I'll, 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 let's go back to the book. Oh, okay. Um, because uh, <laughs> um, I'd like to talk about thoughts? Because I think that you have a, oh, yeah. a reading that we could do at this point, Ruby, but,
1: please. Well, I, I had the neuroscientist. So I said, you know, we have these abusive thoughts in our head. It's such a relief to know that everybody has them. You know, it's, it's, and the book explains why out of five thoughts, four are negative, And somebody said, um, a positive, uh, positive thoughts are like, um, teflon is to positive thoughts and velcro is to negative ones we only remember the negative and of course that was i say to the neuroscientist do we have an asshole gene what and he does answer <laughs> it but you know i am asking him what our thoughts What's the essence where do you find them and he answered me and it was completely incomprehensible so i had to translate into my speak as i have to most of the time because you can't understand a word he's saying but uh So this is my version of what thoughts are. It may be wrong, doesn't matter. Okay. (laughs) To help you with this concept of what thoughts are, picture your thoughts being manufactured by a single queen bee sitting in her larva in your brain. For those of you who are new to neuroscience, there's not an actual bee in your brain. (laughs) Around her are waiter, room service, maid, construction worker, and valet parking bees. Okay, now imagine that in your brain, there are also bees in charge of your actions and thoughts. Say some of them are watching films of coffee in your visual department, others are manufacturing the smell of coffee in your smell department, and the movement bees are manipulating your feet toward a Starbucks. (laughs) The queen thinks she wants coffee, but she's deluded. It's all the bees working in their separate departments, sending in their votes, which motivate her to go for the latte. There is no one bee that makes a decision. It's whichever department buzzes the loudest. So when you say, I think I'll have a dry, skinny, double cappuccino, ginger, and and pumpkin blend picked in Peru by eco-friendly slaves, you'll get and drink the coffee while some bees are already putting together plans for a chocolate muffin. There we go. That's everything. That's that's all you need to know. Why
0: did you decide to do these specific chapters? As I said, well, you begin with evolution and we end
1: with forgiveness. We end Um, with forgiveness, yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you want to end with that or do you want to... No, I'd like to end with it if you don't mind. Oh, Okay. Okay. No, no, no. (laughs) Are we ending now? We can't. We can't end yet. I mean, the book ends with
1: forgiveness, right?
0: Because I think that you didn't have an ending until you did the program. No. When I I
1: wrote the chapter heads, Mm. a year before I had to hand it in, and compassion and forgiveness sounded very deep and meaningful, Mm. but that's not really my remit. I mean, um, rage is my drug of choice, (laughs) and I really love. Well, I, I love hunting somebody down. <laughs> and revenge. You know, when you get that kind of adrenaline, teeth, the <laughs> reptile comes up. But that's another story. So by the time I did get to compassion and forgiveness, something happened. So I'll explain that before we end. Mm. I, I
0: will, we'll come to We it will end, end sometime. Yeah. We okay. will end. We there will end, be an end, Ruby. Yes, I, I promise you we will end. Um, although maybe people would like you to go on and on and on, you know? Um, uh, Tell me about mindfulness, because I think when you first started looking at it, I've read you being quoted, and it probably is misquoted, but never mind, that you thought it was akin to vegetarianism or something,
1: that it was... Yeah. I couldn't understand why you would sit on a gluten-free cushion and, you know... (laughs) Listen to you, You're, I, I didn 't know the point of it, mm-hmm. but it was all, by the way, uh, how to be human, I don't really talk about mindfulness, but because the monk's there, and that's his day job, mm-hmm. he then uh, yes, starts yes. to explain, and then it turns out it's a love affair between the neuroscientist and the monk, because it does have the most um, evident, uh, evidence of uh, creating. Certain patterns in your brain, or mm. certain connections of the neurons, that show that you actually um, can focus more easily. And if you are getting carried away by emotion, the dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex—see, I don't need them—comes um, <laughs> into it gets it gets more it gets buffer, let's say, and so you're able to pull in your um, that limbic you know trigger finger. So when he feels something, it's not like he represses it, but there's just. You know, there's an action that he can let it go through him a little bit. Doesn't mean he doesn't have emotions, but you can decide you have a choice when you've cooled your system. When you're not in a state of fear, which most of us are because of the environment. But don't get mad at yourself. You know, part of us is brilliant and part of us is a savage. And the sooner we understand that about our brains, the happier we'll be. Mm -hmm. That's sort of what I say in... um, I think there's a section on brains, is to understand, yeah. again, power is knowledge. It means you can forgive yourself. We do have a 400,000-year-old brain in here that never went away. I always say um, it, it's for the basics. It's, uh, so a book like Eat, Pray, Love would never have made it. The bigger seller would have been Eat, Fuck, Kill. <laughs> and it's the duh brain, but we need it. And then on top of that, like a hat, grew this um, more sophisticated brain about 200,000 years ago. And the two of them are in constant argument. I mean, I said, I think I said a long time ago, that's why they're women who li- like to read Heidegger but also want to screw the plumber. <laughs> so these brains, is that bad? Is that, was that a bad thing to say? No. no Am I on the wrong show? No. See, I thought I was at the Fringe and they liked that. you at the that. book festival. Oh, the book festival. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm curtsy. Cancel. They'll they read Heidegger
0: on. and no doubt have screwed the odd comer. Hands. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hands.
0: I asked you about the mindfulness because you referred to still having the rage and the anger and right. and that presumably
1: this is 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 it still with you? You know, we we st- we have the essence of us. You mm-hmm. know, we are we come in with you know genes and mm-hmm. then the genes aren't necessarily the predictors. Then it's the experiences. So, um, you know, if you had kind of abusive parents but, and you have the genes, good luck not having depression or some other mental illness. But as I say, we can't, I still have depression and I'm on antidepressants. But I have to say between bouts, which are now getting longer and longer and that might be a coincidence, um, you go back to the gym so that I can actually, it's not, there's no magic pill, but when my depression starts to come, Or when it raises its little head like a demon, my thoughts are actually of a different quality. So, you know, if you're forewarned, Mm -hmm. you can tell it's coming, and then you can do things to kind of make sure that you don't get depressed about depression. Because that's part of the human condition is that now we're getting anxious about anxiety and stressed about stress. And in the old days, nobody died of stress. You know, they died of old age, about 13 and a half. But they didn't <laughs> die of stress. So if you can go, okay, this is a disease, this is depression, it still hurts like you you know, people know the torment. But last time, rather than getting busy because that's what you do when you have depression, you want to show everybody you're the life of the party, mm-hmm. which makes you even more ill. Oh yeah. So this time I go, it's coming. Cut off from social media, I checked into a very small room. It was a retreat. It cost 29 pounds a night, no noise. And then the quarter—it passed after five days rather than five months. I don't know. Tomorrow I might get hit with a whammy, and then I'll have to sue you. (laughs) But um, but so far I can I can tell rather than the usual abusive thoughts of you're an idiot, everybody's looking at you because they know you're making this up. Uh, I'm a fraud. We all have a theme song. I've realized, which has given me such great relief to know that under everybody's exterior, they know how they're flawed. And again, back to evolution, we're supposed to be flawed. It's the human condition. Who started the rumor that we're supposed to be perfect? Mm-hmm. Who started it? Because in the evolutionary scheme of things, I think I have this right, 98%, we share 98% of our DNA with great apes. 35% of our DNA with yeast, and we share 25% with our, of our DNA with bananas, so get over yourself. <laughs> um, so where mindfulness comes in, which I, I talked about in um, frazzle. and my professor is one of the uh, creators of mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. He's the original. He said it was okay, and he wrote, um, things. His name's Mark Williams, I forgot his book. Something Frantic World, it's a huge bestseller. He said I could make up my own exercises for mindfulness that were more pedestrian, and so he gave it his blessings. Otherwise this would be, you know, when people do coloring books or they do instant, whatever it is. You have to stay with the real deal. Mindfulness is a terrible word. But it is like Tai Chi or Pilates or like yoga or athletes are now training themselves. Is to notice when this gambling starts, it's not a bad thing. It happens to everybody. But it's an exercise to pull the focus. The minute you pull your focus to one of your senses, either breathing or feeling your feet on the ground or even worry beads or tasting coffee, you pull, you pull that that endless loop tape down. It doesn't go away forever. The thoughts pull you back. You pull it back down again. You do it for a minute. And actually, then if you look in a brain scanner, I don't know if you have a brain scanner at home. <laughs> Eventually, this area uh, called the insula, which is in charge of uh, feeling, you know, sensing, is a lot bigger than the gabbling bit. So you can, when you feel that flooding, you can pull it down to a sense much easier, much easier. But if somebody really pisses me off, I'll feel that trigger. But again, the cortisol goes quicker, so I don't, I'm not poisoned the next day. Do you know? Because I have a flip thing, which is really good in some cases, and then there's a trade-off. It yeah. makes you very ambitious, but in my case, it also puts you in institutions. So um, I kind of thank myself for having flips. But if I get too angry, I will flip completely, and they're going to suffer much less than I am. So that's sort of mindfulness. I have to do that exercise every day. Otherwise, you know, it's like somebody with a bad back. They have to do certain exercises, which is always check that that depression is coming or it isn't coming. How is it different from, say, meditating? It It is is meditating. meditating. But they made it Western. You know, And I'm not a Buddhist. I don't, you know, um, do yin-yang oil and take baths with Himalayan yak milk and light a candle. It's very, very... um, Western. It's an exercise just the way a sit-up is. But you have more flexibility, blah, blah, blah. And cortisol, everybody goes, oh, what stress? Cortisol, which, you know, we have these days, and we can't shut it down because everything is a threat, you know. What's mm-hmm. going to kill us first? Mm-hmm. North Korea or too much salt? We don't know. Oh, but Donald we're always- Trump. You know, in the, back in the jungle, we were alert to, you know, of the rustling of leaves. But then once it was gone, we'd calm down. Now in an environment where either you're not getting enough friends or, you know, it's juggling plates or there's more on the news. Now I have to find out a woman was swallowed by a python. Do I need to know that? Or I need... <laughs> she was. It only happened to her once. I had to watch it over and over again <laughs> on the breaking. Everything is, is getting us very aroused. You know mm-hmm. things that are good like choice are also killing us. Mm-hmm. So that cortisol never comes down, and what happens? It's, it sounds so breezy. Is every disease you get, almost every disease, is caused by the cortisol. It's um, your immune system crashes. Cancers, diabetes, too, infertility, obesity, premature aging. Everything happens because of that stress. If a meteorite falls on you, it's got nothing to do with stress. But most diseases start because of. Because of too much cortisol. Because you have nothing to fight it with. Ruby, would you like
0: to read again from the oh. book, please? Which bit? Um, the whole thing? <laughs> you could read the whole thing if you like. Um, but I know you have, I,
1: I haven't, you have an edited version there of oh, I do. something from <laughs> the book. Well, there's, there's, then there's a chapter on what are emotions, you know, mm-hmm. how did they... There's a reason for them, you know... And then a, a, a defining what a, what we really are, which is um, many things. But we're many personalities. We're not just you know I'm an extrovert. She's this. You know it, we are show, we're narrowing the lens of how we live by by giving ourselves a little label that you know in me right now. I mean I'm the devil, I'm an angel, I'm adorable, I'm vicious, I'm boring, I'm adorable. You, many, there's myriads, and the only thing we have in common is that we share the first name, you know, that's, that's <laughs> share this. But um, there is no actual you, <laughs> Do you know, I, I don't want to depress anybody, but <laughs> the brain is like a pile of sand that's always changing. It's always shape-shifting, and mm-hmm. so if you mm-hmm. decide to focus on something that that gives you pleasure or something compassionate that's the way the brain goes if you only look for the negative that you're you're actually creating your own destiny but any uh, you know I don't want to get too holy on that one I mean I'm still a bitch (laughs) I I am it's a it's a trait Uh, so uh, there's a chapter on relationships again there's a serious bit but then I always do my bit about how do we pick partners you know, and uh, and I actually think it's to be, I think it's down to a smell, you know. You may think it's walking in the n- you know, moonlight or he's in Aries and you're whatever you are. But I think it really does come down to a smell in the beginning. And I'm being flippant. Okay, so um, on the subject re- of relationships, I am being flippant. It isn't down to a smell, but that's the first thing that switches on. Um, And actually, sorry, in the book, uh, there's really interesting experiments. They do experiments, uh, some scientists got together. (laughs) And I'm just a messenger, so don't shoot me. But uh, they wanted to see what type of male women were attracted to. And when they were ovulating, they went for the alpha male. This is just okay. Because it kind of indicates that they'll have better genes and they'll have a better immune system and that'll pass to their kids. And when they're not ovulating, they go for the more feminized type of man who maybe. You know, is just more secure because we have a limited amount of eggs. And so we want somebody to stick around at least till the kids leave home, which is now about 45. (laughs) Okay, but here it is. I'll give it to you. On the subject of relationships, there are underlying influences that happen to you at various stages in your life without you being aware of them. I want to bring them to your attention. It may be painful to hear. I wish somebody had told me, but... You'll thank me for this because if you're aware of how you're influenced by biological forces, you'll be able to know why you do what you do and hopefully forgive yourself. 18 to 25 years old. For both men and women, follow your hormones during these years. Have as much sex as you can, but don't make any commitments because right now your biology is in the driver's seat. 45 to 50. For women, if you haven't fertilized your eggs by now, Chances are you might not because probably the last few ones have left the building. But know that you can have a great life without kids, free to do what you want, when you want. The mistake people make at this age is to get a cat or a dog. Then they're slaves to their pets and can't go out for fear that the pet will have a heart attack in their absence. For men, just keep going the way you've been going. You can get married at 90 and still breed so there's no rush. 55 to 60 year olds For men and women If you're not married at this stage and want to be I suggest going on the lastminute.com dating site Or just find anyone with a pulse Also there's some good news A culling might have happened Where one of your married friend's partners has died So now is the time to swoop in there And get the living one It's a second chance time for old newlyweds 60 to 65 years old For men and women If you're married and have been for a long time You'll notice that the stories are on a loop You've heard them all before And you can finish the punchline For women At this point you can stop shaving your legs And start gaining weight without fear Unless you're with an alpha And then I'd say keep shaving And throw in a facelift If you're with a nice guy, he won't notice or mind you turning into a fat carpet. (laughs) This is facts. However, if you happen to have married an alpha and you're not an alpha female, God help you, it probably won't be a great life. He will accessorize you up until about 58, and then he's either long gone or going tonight, so don't wait up. With these type of guys, they usually like to have younger females as spares. Look out your window. They're circling like vultures at this very moment. Some of them are just being born. (laughs) 70 to 99 years old. I have no idea. I assume if you're in love by this age, still exchanging large amounts of oxytocin, the bonding chemical, you've won the jackpot. And then it goes on about that the the real feature of being human is that bonding chemical, that you know, th- that makes you love everybody. You don't have to take MDMA anymore. Just be nice to somebody. And it goes into the, that chemical. Mm-hmm. And that goes into compassion. And that goes into forgiveness. Okay. And
0: I think we should talk about forgiveness because we need to get some questions from oh. the audience. Okay. But very
1: briefly, um, the forgiveness is the, okay, so the end of good. the book. So it's the end of the book, and I had no information about forgiveness. But coincidentally, when I wrote... The chapter heads at that time, people from Who Do You Think You Are, the TV show, you know, that goes into your history, said, um, can we do your story? So, I had, um, my my parents were dead, but there was a a brown leather suitcase in our attic filled with lots of letters and all these photos, but I didn't know, nobody told me I had relatives, so uh, I didn't even know we had an attic, but anyway. (laughs) So then they took it away, and they take a year to figure out if you're interesting or not, because if you're not interesting, they dump you. Okay, (laughs) right. So a year later, I forgot about it. They came back, and they said, do you want to do do your story? But I was also at the chapter for forgiveness, so I said, bring it on. So they took... I'll make this quick. Uh, No, you're fine. Oh, okay. They took me to Vienna. They don't tell you where you're going. And then they took me to where my dad's... um, They said, This is where your father was in jail. And I knew he was in jail because he told me he was an aerobics instructor. (laughs) I'm not kidding. So I said, Well, my dad was an aerobics instructor here. And they said, No, he wasn't. He was actually in jail because he was a Jew. And uh, the other people were being tortured by the Nazis, and they'd make them jump like rabbits. And because you're, to humiliate them, and because your dad was young, he probably helped him out. And then they took me to my dad's flat, and they said, another historian said, this is how your dad got out of Vienna. And he said, it's unbelievable. It's one in a million, which I didn't know. He took a plane, an airplane, from Austria, from Vienna to uh, Belgium, and nobody took planes then, and he was a poor guy. So how did he get the ticket? And then when he got to Belgium, the Nazis were coming. There were two more days before they... You know, took over. So my dad stowed away on a ship going to America, and the guy said, "How did he get on the ship? And how did he get off the ship?" And then, uh, and then they showed me my mother, and I didn't know anything about her except she was unbelievable looking. She looked made Greta Garbo look like a dog. <laughs> I mean, she was spectacular, but insane. So they showed me where she worked, and they said she went to university and spoke six languages and had a degree in economy and studied classics. So they showed me that. Then they took me to Poland and showed me pictures of, um, I didn't know who, and they said, this is your great aunt. What do you think she did? And I said, was she an actress? Because I always thought I came from a great line of actresses. And they said, no, she was insane. (laughs) So I said, "Um, well, was she an actress some of the time? (laughs) And they said, no, she was in a mental asylum for uh, 30 years. And then they showed me another picture, and they said, this is your great-great-aunt called Berta, which is my mom's name. And they said, guess what she did? And I said, was she an actress? And they said, no, she was insane. <laughs> and they, uh, they took me to the insane asylum, and, um, and they were still working, right? They're still functioning. All the people were still there, and they were, they were gargantuan. And then the crew said, could I say a few words about being at the insane asylum? And they thought I would cry. But they don't know this is my happy place. You know, because I love the people, the food, the atmosphere. They didn't like that at all. (laughs) At all. And then at the end, the forgiveness thing came. They took me to my uh, aunt's graveyard. And there was no uh, tombstone. There was just a mound of dirt. And I said, well, why does... And the two guys next to her had a tombstone. So I said, what's with her? And they said, well, they never got her one. And I guess because of shame. Um, And so, and then it occurred to me that a lot of the traits I never understood that I have now, where I got them from. You know, I could never, like I always woke up thinking I'd hear sirens, but I didn't, you know, and everything was making me nervous. And then I realized I got this from my dad because he he literally was being chased by Nazis. It wasn't his imagination and it was life and death. So I always have that thing that I have to get in first. Otherwise, like even in a queue, I have to get to the front, you know, and I'll elbow anybody. I've got that. And I got my mom's anger because she was whipped out in her peak, you know, of her heyday uh, and suddenly had to go to America and she hated America. She thought they were, she used to go up to people on the street and and consider, she thought they were um, savages and she'd go, it was terrible. (laughs) And then Olga and Berta, then I thought, oh, I understand why I have so much shame about maybe, you know, that I got it from them about being so, you know, self-indulgent and, and I kind of thought, well, maybe that shame comes out down through the DNA. So my final act of forgiveness, it was just time to the end of the book. I got Olga like a gigantic tombstone, you know, not like tiny, like Moshe and Jaime's or whoever they were. And it said, <laughs> screw you. I, I said, I'm really proud of my family. So that was my act of forgiveness at the end. And that was the last chapter. So. Thank you.
0: Okay, we want questions from you, please. Uh, we'll bring a microphone if you put your hand up. Um. There's somebody. Hi. Um, firstly, I just, f- that you're brilliant and amazing, Ruby. Um, and what I want to ask is, do you think this could, should, that mindfulness and the, the stuff that you practice should be on the curriculum, considering that, that mental health and loneliness is going to be the greatest epidemic of our times because of the, the reasons? Do you think that, more can be done in education and also on free education and how we can make it part of the national curriculum to learn that this is stuff that we'll have to deal with?
1: Well, it, it, it's called dot B and it is on the curriculum of some schools because if you get, they don't call it mindfulness, but you have to emotionally uh, teach these kids how to use their brains because clearly something's not going right. <laughs> There's no, there was never cutting when I was growing up and it's one in three now. So they're teaching kids through these little games, and um, they think they're playing, but they're teaching the kids how to self-regulate and notice when they're going into red mist, and they, for example, there's one where they, when they have a hissy fit, they realize it and hold up a red ticket, and when they feel, they don't know, it's cortisol coming down, then they hold up a a yellow, and then when they're back at the, their, themselves, they hold up a green. So now these kids are learning about their inner states, and they won't just point at people and go, "You're making me feel like that," because that's why the world's so screwed. Is we keep thinking, "The enemy's making me feel this way," we feel this way because we feel this way, you know. And then you just throw your anger, and he throws it back. So it, you know, mindfulness isn't for everybody, but there have to be exercises to teach kids. And all they've got now is. That, but you could teach them how to get into their body. They have something called meditation. When, when they're going to sleep, they learn to focus. As long as you focus, not in your thinking, the, immediately the cortisol comes down, your heartbeat comes down. So the kids are learning tricks. And um, also in, it, through Nice, you can get free mindfulness courses. Yeah. Have, oh,
0: yeah. Someone up the back
1: there, please. Yeah, there she is. Run like the wind. There she is. Okay, sorry.
0: I was just wondering, Ruby, uh, if you had a... Where are you? Pardon? Here.
1: Oh, hi. Hi. I
0: was just wondering, if if you had a clone,
1: would you be able to share a flat with her at all? And who would be the real Ruby? (laughs) If I had a clone? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I would share a flat with her. I think she'd be fun. I wouldn't trust her. (laughs) But, um, yes, she'd be... I am adorable to live with, really. (laughs) Very neat. It's a bit brief, uh, an answer. Would you like to elaborate a bit more? Or What's that? Would you like to elaborate a bit more? Or On me? <laughs>
0: on you, yeah. How would you, who, who would be the real Ruby?
1: <laughs> well, like you, there is, no rea- you know, there is no real you. You have a persona and you just whip it out when you need something or you want somebody to like you, but you know that's not you. Re- I mean, really, it's like putting on a suit, you know, dressing up the monkey. So what I am now and when I'm in the bathroom, you wouldn't recognize the difference. <laughs> you wouldn't recognize it.
0: Can I ask, what has been the biggest influence in your life? Which person or which situation in your life?
1: Oh, uh, that's a tough one. Alan Rickman, and his wife is here. Um, there, where is she? Well, she'll be embarrassed, but he saved my life. You know, I was in the Royal Shakespeare Company, and I was terrible. Honestly, Juliet was much better. Don't tell her I said that. But Alan was a genius, and he said, Why don't you write the way you speak? Because you're not good, isn't it? I said, I know. And so I wrote reams and reams and reams and then threw it at him, and he edited. And for the next 30 years, he trained me in comedy, and I, we even came here, was my first gig in Edinburgh, and there was no advertising about me. So Alan all night went around with a photo of me putting uh, with Blue Tack, putting it on all the trees. And his ideas were genius. So I would never be sitting here if he didn't save me. <clears throat> Here's
0: A uh, lady here in green. Can I ask... Um, uh, we need to bring you a microphone because of the wi- Oh, you've got one. Oh, sorry. Just happened to be carrying one. <laughs> Can I ask you, Ruby, um, you, you talk about cancer that... Can you put it near your mouth? It's all part of the stress, the cancer that develops. I don't agree with that. Um, you know, 20-, 30-, 40-year-olds are unlucky um, in life.
1: Um, I would like to ask, listening to what you've talked about... I said, sorry, excuse me, certain cancers. Certain cancers, okay. Yeah, so obviously um, not, and not diabetes, but diabetes too. You know, it, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um,
0: can I ask, do you have an advanced directive for what you would like on, when you pass away? What I, disease I, I would like? I work in a hospice, and oh. often patients, we talk about everything you've just mentioned, you know, the mental health issues... Anger, forgiveness, all, all the emotions right the way through. Um, and sometimes people are prepared for their death and sometimes people aren't. And I'm just wondering if, if you are mm-hmm, listening to your family story.
1: That's really interesting. Uh, you're not prepared. No, I mean, I think... I've, I've never said this before, but I think things like mindfulness is actually, in a way, preparing you for death. In a way. Because you're... Um, you're, you're getting used to horror, you know, lovely things, whatever, but you're getting used to not attaching. So if you told me tomorrow I have, you know, something terminal, it would kill me, right? But there is something about sitting back and watching thoughts that means you're not so attached. I mean, so let's say I'm 99 and point, you know, 9999, less scared of death than I would have been before. Uh, we
0: have, Okay. Hi. On the desert island, do you take the neuroscientist or the monk?
1: What? What did he say? Do I I like the neuroscientist or the monk?
0: If you had to go to a desert island and you could only take one, take the monk or the neuroscientist.
1: That's a good one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The the neuroscientist is really good looking. (laughs) But I don't tell him that. So probably him. But the, the monk is really funny. Uh yeah. But um he's you can tell what he was like before he was a monk. He's very wild. Yeah. My job is to unpeel him. I've broken him already, so that's okay.
0: Do <laughs> <laughs> we have someone at the front here, please? Hi. Hi. I think you've been asked this before, but what I've my knowledge of mindfulness is that it was very similar to transcendental meditation, sort of calming down And mm. um, I wasn't very good at it or, or the, the few minutes I tried it um, but I notice you're looking great um, I haven't seen you in a it's while It's very good life.
1: Is, <laughs> is, is the loss of weight due to mindfulness? No you can be. <laughs> The or monk th- is so fat <laughs> it's not He's a binge eater He's a binge eater so, and do you not think a
0: lot of people would say that they like mindfulness, but actually, because it's sort of internal, it's one of these things that I think would be difficult to be on a school curriculum because it would be very hard to judge the benefits.
1: Well, that's why I like... I, I, Oxford wasn't... That was the two-year course, is that you did see the latest results. And, of course, the neuroscientists who never hurt you know, wasn't involved. There is research, which, which you can either buy or not buy, you know, some people are into star signs, is that the telomeres uh, are, stay lengthened, which is what determines your, your biological age. They, they have done work on it. Your telomeres are part of your chromosomes, you'll know that. And when they start to unfurl, like a shoelace, that does show um, that your age is, you know, it is showing. The wear and tear, but if it stays tight, that telomere, which they have uh, shown that people who study mindfulness can actually lengthen their telomeres, it has a really beneficial effect on your longevity. But you know, if you're hit by a meteorite, you're out of the running. But it does have a real. There is, there are benefits, but again, nothing is 100%. If you really don't want to do it, then don't be mean to yourself. But then do maybe tai chi or. You know, there's in the in the future, mindfulness is going to be a thing of the past. They're going to have mental fitbits in two minutes that say your cortisol is going too far. You're you're particular because one guy can jog at three in the morning and it'll kill you. But there'll be some way to get a reading. Mindfulness isn't about everything is wonderful. Your thoughts stop. You see what the garbage of what's going through. But at least you know it rather than being passive aggressive. Because people can smell it. You, know, if you're, you should know your state and then you have a choice on how to express it. And also that f- stress on stress really helps with the wear and tear. Because at least I can sleep. Up the back, please.
0: Ruby, you say you practice mindfulness every day. Do you do it in the morning or at night or two or three times during the day?
1: Oh, right. Well, I get up and do it. Um, but that's just me because I'm so full of the detritus of my dreams, which are insane. And if I don't sort of let, you know, get my heartbeat down for the rest of the day, anybody who reminds me of somebody in my dream will get it in the neck. So I, I myself. but you don't have to do it in that way. You can do it for, you know, when you're standing in a queue or when you're, you know, on hold or when you're even drinking coffee. Again, the idea isn't to do this. It's, you t- a physical sense is, let's say, drinking something. Taste it. Watch where your mind goes. It'll go, it could go anywhere. And don't judge if it's bad or good. You're just noticing what goes through your mind, like watching a television show. Come back to the taste. Go back to that, what your mind is doing. Go back. If for one minute a day there would already be a change. Or when I, I practice, you know... Um, when I come on stage I used to lose my lines and then your saliva dries up and then you start your heart starts beating and then you lose even more lines so just because I practice a little bit sometimes when I'm losing it I can see the audience starting to get really afraid and they turn on you like animals because it's a, I guess it's like seeing somebody dying you know in the watering hole and so they turn their back but sometimes, just I, if I start to uh, concentrate on my feet, where they're touching the ground, the cortisol automatically starts to come down. They can't tell I'm doing that. But then I can see their eyes soften, and I've brought it back down. But you can't do it like a, a tomorrow. You know, an emergency, it, it, it is a muscle. It doesn't always work, but um, I haven't really dried, you know, lost a line for mm-hmm. a few years. Mm-hmm. Okay. And tomorrow I will. <laughs>
0: Right at the back, there's someone right at the back who has been... Hello. Hi, where are you? I'm over here. Oh, Oh, hi. Um, I'm just wondering what you would say to an employer who is disregarding mental health issues when you, as the person with the mental health issues, is aware, like you say, if you've had depression or anxiety before, you know the wee triggers, you know which line you're going down. Um, And despite their policies... Um, and you know, apparent procedures,
1: they are failing to address mental health issues in the workplace. Would you, what would you say to an employer? Well, it, it, that's, that's what's going on. It's a tragedy, you know, because if you had a physical disability and you were discriminated against, you could take them to court. But uh, there, we still live in but I'm telling you, it is changing. Those laws are gonna change. Even though sometimes they say they will, but there's too many people who are angry, and there's too many suicides, and there's too much absenteeism, that it reflects on the economy, and once it reflects on the economy, then watch this space. So soon you'll be able to say, if you don't let me go, you know, that, as you would with if I had a flu, then I have to take you to court, and that's when the world will be a better place to live in.
0: Hey, Ruby.
1: Yeah? Where are you?
0: Uh, right up here in oh, the... Oh, Hi. Hi. You talked about the asshole gene and also the flawed nature of much of humanity. Do you think that those two features are in the ascendancy and causing mindlessness to take over from mindfulness?
1: Well, we've always had the flaw, you know, the flaw. Because, um, yeah. as I say, there's an imbalance the cognitive bit that makes all this eye candy and makes sure shops are open all night and that you can get a sale at Zara, whatever, and get to it by some kind of, you know, transportation is genius. But the other part never grew up. So as time goes by, I mean, you could say we were at our best when we were in tribes because we cared about each other and, you know, we all looked at, But. You know, we expanded, and that's where the shit hit the fan, in a way. But we had to expand, because then there was competition. And then there was, um, you know, people who looked different from us, we would declare war on them. And and that's the world we're living. It, it's too wide. But there's nothing we can do about it. It's just going to get wider. Technology's going to get even more takeover. But for people who want to kind of learn to navigate within that, there are little safety valves. Mine happens to be mindfulness. My next book, I'm going to really look into AI and compassion. I mean, they're not there yet, but there may be ways of making technology work a little for us. Now, of course, people say that's insane, but then we thought the television was crazy too. But some of us have to train ourselves to kind of upgrade our minds as much as we've upgraded everything else. So the next time we evolve, it won't be for movable thumbs. It'll be because our thoughts can actually change our brain. And I think understanding the science of that, those of us that want to be mindful will be able to, but the mindless will stay mindless. And that might be a tragedy because look who the leaders are. <laughs> but then maybe it's each man for himself. You know. And Again, if you evolve, the world evolves. You can only be responsible for yourself.
0: Do you think, I think, Ruby, the BBC will ever repeat that um, program where you were thrown off um, Donald Trump's plane or where he oh, landed no, the plane?
1: It doesn't matter. It's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. Yeah.
0: I've seen it on YouTube. Uh, one more question, please. Um, first of all, I just wanted to thank you very much for saying that you take uh, antidepressants. Um, I've been taking antidepressants for 20 years. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and it allows me to have a, well, you know, people wouldn't say I'm normal, but, you know, for me, a normal life, And but I still find there's a bit of discrimination against it. I still find there's shame uh, in saying that I take antidepressants, especially long-term, and I try and say to people, look, you know, you wouldn't say to a diabetic, yeah. you know, "Stop taking your insulin. You've been taking it too long. You shouldn't be depending on it."
1: And I just wondered how you felt it. Well, I, yeah, but look at the change you're, you're telling about—five hundred people. So things are changing. <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't know why there would be shame. And oh, can I just say quickly? Um, I, I, I. In, I created this thing called Frazzle Cafes and we're opening the first one this week in Edinburgh and um, if you go to frazzlecafe.org you can sign up and it's in in the partnership with Marks and Spencers, and what they do is they shut their cafe, and then we invite about 15 people, and we have facilitators who are trained at the Wellcome Trust. This is not therapy, okay? So you can't be in the midst of, you know, a mental... It's human. It's how humans should talk to each other, and they meet every two weeks. It isn't a walk-in session, and we've had them going for a few years now all throughout the country, and these people form tribes, which I was saying... And they feel... A lot of times people don't want to tell their family or their friends that they feel vulnerable. Well, all they're feeling is being human, and so they can speak that language to each other, and it's really moving. Um, So if you want to sign up, go to frazzlecafe.org, and then we'll invite you to come.
0: I'm sorry, time is up. But uh, we need to choose
1: the winner. Oh, and we need to tell them I'm on. uh, Well, I'm going to
0: do that, but let's choose a winner. (laughs) I am going to do it. I promise you, see, you Ruby. They're
1: always the, the gene from my father, the hustler gene. <laughs> there, uh, for me. Do you want to do your best question? Yeah. You you. Which oh. is the best question? You choose. I'm sorry, but the lady in the green who said, "Was I scared of death?" That's got to be the best question. Thank you. Can I just say one? Can I just say one other thing? Once a journalist asked me what was my top ten fears like a moron right and she said number one and I said death and she said any particular reason (laughs) swear to God
0: folks I have to say a huge thank you to all of you for coming on a wet Sunday afternoon to have your spirits lifted by this joyous woman Mm -hmm. who to whom I think we all owe a great debt for her important work in foregrounding mental health and for being such a vibrant campaigner. Um, thanks to, um, also thanks to the Book Festival, of course. So if you want to hear more from Ruby, she will be at the Pleasance uh, being frazzled uh, every afternoon this week. And also her daughter, at Maddie. Four. Maddie and Marina's show, siblings acting out, is at the Underbelly. Thank you. And such as the clever timing of these events, you can see both on the same day because they're at different. The times. whole family
1: and, and my daughter. Ruby
0: will be signing copies of her books in the signing tent, which is in the Gin Cafe. And um, finally, if you will give us a moment to get there, thank you so much. thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank
1: you.